Hello everyone, I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America. Although after 18 years, Jay Truett, I think we've got all of those issues solved. We just need to come up with some other reason to exist every day. I don't know. There's, I mean, there's some, we're in, uh, as the old Chinese proverb says, we're in interesting times, right? And uh, (laughs) so maybe we'll have some new problems that we haven't really thought about. Uh, And I (laughs) think. (laughs) <laughs> I don't think we need to go looking for problems. I'm just saying. <laughs> I no, I think I think we are in uh, like some uncharted territory here uh, around the world, you know. And people people haven't had to think through these issues for many moons, right? Yeah. You go I <clears throat> I had a long conversation with a guy this week that was uh, uh early uh, well yesterday that was a historian and uh, had done a lot of work on World War, post-World War One era economic mm. conditions of pr- predominantly Europe. But as a, as a kind of a side note, and I think it's one of the things that we have to watch here, you know, as well, the, uh, the most, the thing that he said he found the most interesting was, was that number, Number one, this is not a surprise. When when people start running short on food, at some point they start protecting it and keeping it for themselves, and they don't send it to other places in the world, right? That's just seems to be logic. Um, Unless you're the crown uh, right. during the potato famine of Ireland, right? And then you then you amplify the problem so that you can uh, change population levels in a country. But that would um, happen in today's world. Yeah. Um, not, not, not in every country it wouldn't happen. (laughs) There's a lot of places it would. Not funny. Not funny. No, not funny. And uh, taking a poke at a whole bunch of things right there all in one fell swoop. Um, but it's, I mean, it is kind of interesting that what got left off of most of the big, uh, damage assessment maps, uh, after World War One was what happened in the Middle East. Mm. And and number one, if, you, if people that don't really think about this or don't remember, all the lines in the Middle East were redrawn after World War One, and then further refined and drawn a little bit after World War Two. Obviously, Israel was created, and that was creating a new small country. But major lines were 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 redrawn in, after World War One, and there was wars and tribal factions that fought and blah blah blah. But a big part of the reason for that was is they were hungry, sure, and they didn't have food. Uh, their wheat crops that normally came from places like uh, and rice that came from India and uh, uh, elsewhere uh, to the north of them. Uh, all the way up through the Balkan states were all disrupted after World War One. Um, so you can't really blame communism per se at that point. It hadn't quite expanded over to that. It literally was just the war had crippled the infrastructure and people didn't move products around. Well, we're facing exactly that same scenario today. And if you look at the countries that are most likely to experience uh, severe food shortages 
uh, in the near term, it will be countries in the Middle East and, and uh, portions of Africa that rely on uh, wheat, bread products, bread products. Let's just put it that way. So wheat flour, et cetera, et cetera, that normally would have come out of the port of Odessa in the Ukraine and meat out of India that uh, is uh, – be- India is the largest beef exporter in the world on a regular basis – but they don't really export beef. They export water buffalo. It's super, super cheap. And so it finds its way into super cheap uh, food markets like the Middle East and other places. And uh, they're having foot and mouth disease issues big time right now. And uh, and so they may be, they may have to stop exporting for some period of time. And just to get a handle on their own supply chain issues. And so, the, again, you'll see the Middle East go back to that warring factions between Sunnis, Shias, and other tribal factions that that are going to break down in the splits. And we'll probably see some further refinement of, uh, of what goes on, who becomes uh, radicalized Islamic nations and who becomes... Uh, really more Islamic nation states as opposed to just countries that happen to have a lot of Muslims living in them. Those are big differences between those and how they respond to the world and what they are willing to do to the world. And I think, uh, I think it's something that people just need to keep their awareness high about. I mean, it's, it's a real deal. Well, it was post World War One. Yeah, and we're, we're we have the same scenario unfolding as we speak. As we but, speak, but the thing you left out is that both that time frame and this time frame had a and for radio listeners, I'm using my air quotes, a pandemic that yeah. could be argued was not naturally occurring. That well, no, there is no arguing that it was not naturally occurring. It was brought into the human population by somebody. Who yeah. brought that in? We can have a discussion about. But the Spanish flu of 1918 and the COVID of 2020 are all the precursors to global uh, a global food shortage and yeah. how to how to feed the world. Yeah, it's Those a real accident, Jay. No, it's a, it's a real conversation that has to take place, and we're we're gonna. I mean, we're gonna watch some changes. Uh, so economics are going to drive some changes in U.S. food production model, um, almost certainly, right? And that's where I mean. So let's make let, let's take this, you know. To I mean, I don't mean to like get way serious with people uh, instantaneously and to do too much Washington D.C. stuff, but we are starting the conversation on the farm bill now. The, the hearings are starting to take place. We're going to start working through what is U.S. farm policy. And while I got to be honest with you, I don't really think it matters a great deal. I don't think that we're able to manipulate things quite as much as government pretends. Uh, we, we are going to see people uh, coming up before the committee, though, pleading their case for why their commodity, you know, needs either needs help, support, regulation or deregulation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And 
And uh, it, it'll be interesting to watch that conversation over the next uh, several several months now. It'll be, I mean, next year is when we really start doing this thing in earnest. But um, there's always kind of like about a six-month lead up to the real conversation where we do these uh, kind of quiet, unreported on, unheard hearings. And it's where the bill really gets put together. And I'm going to, I will just venture that under the current administration, their initiative will be to ignore all of the basic economic commodity driven issues that we probably could, could handle, um, and, and avert some real problems later. And instead, they're going to want to turn this into a pure nutrition, uh, discussion where we, we just come in and bail people out after the fact. And the, and the, and the reality is, is that nutrition programs don't work very good if you don't have commodities in the channel. Nutrition programs by the um, Health and Human Services and the USDA don't work very good either when the government itself recognizes that 95% of the people sitting on the committee establishing the dietary guidelines all have a conflict of interest. Yeah. Oh, in, in the most in the most interesting ways sometimes, right? I mean, they're, they're, uh, half the people on that committee are openly anti-meat advocates, open anti-meat advocates. The, uh, uh, another additional 25% of the people on, on that committee, maybe a little more than that, um, openly support a Mediterranean diet over any other choice period wouldn't matter what it was. Um, and they are the people that, uh, that brought us, uh, uh, low calorie, everything in on the planet. Right. I mean, literally that everything in the world has a low calorie option. And yet while, uh, while those people have been in place over the last 30 years, the United States has become the fattest nation on the planet. Yeah, I think that's accelerated in the last two years beyond belief because I'm just paying attention while I'm out and about. Jay Truitt, we are paying attention to the clock as well. It says it's time to wrap it up. We'll be back with more Roll Rout. By the way, Andrew is in a meeting on his birthday. Felt it was more important to, than to do that than to join us. Yeah, whatever, Andrew. More after this. Certified Piedmontese creating opportunity for cattlemen in the Great Plains of America to get paid properly for the quality of beef produced. Tender beef is what we're talking about. Get more details about your involvement and how you can be a part of this contract production. A $180 premium over market price. LoneCreekCattleCo.com. Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Loose. Jay Truitt at the Hillbilly Debutante, Nevada. This is a tourist destination if you're in Nevada, Missouri. El Dorado. No, it's in El Dorado. El Dorado. Why did I come up with Nevada? I wasn't listening when I asked Well, that's that's kind of my my home turf, too. So maybe it was more of a Nevada kid. I graduated from school in El Dorado, but um, uh, well, I'm a Nevada kid. You might wish I would have just continued to tell everybody you were in Nevada before the day's over. <laughs> no, listen, you know, it's kind of funny. So here, here, this really is the interesting dynamic. Uh, I, I laughed and told my wife, uh, the, the first week that she opened this shop that, that I'm in this morning, um, uh, it's, which is a mercantile and a pie shop, right? So she sells a little bit of everything. She sells, you know, uh, women's clothes, 
she also sells just small random antiques. She sells the whole Amish jellies and jams thing, you know. There's a local coffee company that she sells their product um, that does their own grinding and sourcing and grinding a product. It's good. Obviously, they don't grow any coffee in, in uh, Cedar and Vernon County, Missouri. Um, but she also bakes pies and uh, has some other women that uh, bake pies with her in a little group she's pulled, pulled together. And uh, they serve pie and coffee. And it's a pretty cheap place for people to come. She's had visitors from Texas, from Western Kansas, from Iowa, from uh, Nebraska, from uh, uh, just about every state that touches Missouri, I think, at this point, that have stopped in. And it's people that are taking long trips and just driving around the country looking at the country. And uh, either they've, you know, they saw her in social media someplace or or read one of her books or something in the past, or maybe, I don't know. I'm not for sure how they all found it. Um, she advertises locally, um, but that's really about it. And you know what? It's just been kind of interesting to see who walks through the door on a daily basis. And, yeah, it would uh, be. And how and long has it been there, Jay? Two weeks, three weeks. This is her third week of operation. And, um, uh, uh so far, it's been a it's been a fun thing. But literally, the first day that she opened it was the first day that that really the numbers came in from the government saying a recession had started. And I said, "Well, good time to start a business, honey." <laughs> and, We're bucking the trend right here. <laughs> yeah, she laughed. She goes, "Well, when else would we start it? You know, other than the first day of a recession? Yeah. Um, but why not? You know." You know but here's the thing. Here, here's what I like about what you said and why it's going to work is because you're not doing it on your own. You're doing it oh, yeah. with the input of so many people locally. They all feel like whether they're just making a pie or, or they're showing up for, to test their own coffee that they roasted and, right. and ground. It's kind of a community-vested project. And you put the word mercantile in there. Yeah. We don't have enough mercantiles anymore. I just yeah. like those old mercantile businesses. Right. And, it, and you know, that is right. And she will she will tell you that, uh, on any given day, she spends as much time talking to her customers about other supporting businesses in the area that they can also visit uh, as she does her own. And, and I mean, she's for her, it's, it's a little bit of a religion, you know, yeah. that we all hang together or we hang separately and mm -hmm. kind of thing, you know. And if you're going to be a part of a community, be a part of a community. And you know what? Uh, she practices what she preaches in that regard. And so it's not everything in here is, uh, is, you know, produced locally, but even the stuff that she bought from somewhere else, it's short line stuff from people that are their own custom designers, right? Mm -hmm. Doing mm -hmm. short line things. And there's yep. a lot of individuals in the United States that produce clothing and especially this kind of hillbilly, I don't know what you call it, uh, hillbilly. Texas hippie girl clothing that is kind of the popular thing right now it is uh, the kind of stuff my wife wears and 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 a lot of other women uh, out in rural America have started wearing. And lo and behold, uh, there's a lot of people that design and, and do that their own. Um, somebody that you and I both know, Terry Fankhauser, right? Oh, sure. uh, from uh, the Colorado County. He has nothing to do now, right? He's no, totally yeah, retired. He sits on his porch smoking a cigar. 
Well, and his wife, though, is one of those designers, right? She does oh, really? jeans and special jeans, et cetera. And if you start looking around, you can find people that are doing things like that um, scattered all over the country. Well, I think it's great, and we ought to figure out how we use them as opposed to, mm. you know, uh, Premier Xi's uh, mm. folks in uh, Shanghai. So, yeah. Guess what? I have a plan for that. Stay tuned. Okay. Although it might not be Missouri, my focus. But, well, that's you know. all right. I get so it. You, you give me the real flavor that uh, this store, Hillbilly Debutante, has mm-hmm. a feel of a Texas Hill Country mercantile. Yeah. A little bit. I think that's probably it. That's the best way to describe it. My wife, while she uh, uh, was born in Missouri and raised much of her life in Missouri, she is a Texas girl at heart. I mean, she's one of those people that was made to live there. I'm from there. Uh, but I would tell you, I'm probably not a Texan uh, as much as she is. And mm-hmm. uh, she, she fell in love with that whole uh, uh, Texas Hill country, uh, relaxed atmosphere. You know, uh, it's just a real casual country, Western style, Western influence setting, you know, and uh, she loves it. Yeah, I mean, if you're in Fredericksburg or, or uh, Lukenbach, yeah, it, that's just it's just great country. It is, and they're great people. You know, they're different, right? You mm-hmm. get down into that part of the world, and you'll find that you know they just don't see everything quite the same way, and maybe not even the same way as each other. They're some of the most independent-minded people that you'll ever find anywhere. You know, or down in that part of the world. Well, more power to them, right? It's a uh, uh, that's the whole country boy can survive mindset, you know, kind of originated from down in, in, uh, places in the, in the United States like that, not just there, but others. And I, I do think, you know, back to the subject matter of the first part of this, I also had a conversation with, uh, uh, with some guys the other day. It was pretty interesting. One of them is a crotchety old 80 year old guy that, um, we were talking about potential food shortages and he goes, he goes, yeah, but he goes, that ain't going to happen where I live. And, uh, I said, well, what makes you think that? And he goes, well, we're not, he goes, we may run out of food in the store, but we're not going to starve. It just ain't going to happen because we're willing to eat a lot of stuff that other people won't eat. And it's all around us. And, uh, he goes, if you're in the city though, you don't have the option of just, yeah, Looking out your back door, taking a deer or a turkey or a raccoon or a squirrel or, you know, whatever it is you get down to at some point. And I hadn't really thought through that, but, you know, those old Hank Williams Jr. songs may may come back to to haunt a bunch of people in the world. (laughs) That's exactly what we all need to do. Live through a Hank Williams Jr. song. Some of his later ones are actually pretty good. The, you know, anyway, we'll just leave it at that. Why don't we? Yeah. We've almost made it through the entire segment, segment two, without uh, talking about any policy. That's maybe a first. Yeah, it might be. You know what? So uh, I am, I am missing Andrew, and he's well, usually the I'm, one that forces. I'm getting that a complex because since I came back and got back in the saddle. Speaking mm-hmm. of Texas Hill Country, 
where the whole concept of the Texas Rangers comes to life, right? Right. Uh, since I came back into the saddle, he hasn't joined us. So I, I think he's addicted to Amanda. And if there's no Amanda, then there's going to be no Andrew Henderson. Maybe so. And I'm going to be honest with you, though. I quite enjoyed visiting. You were addicted to Amanda, too? Yeah. <laughs> if <laughs> I actually, <laughs> I went, When Andrew let me know earlier this morning that he wasn't going to be here, I sent her a note, and she was kind of distraught because she already had plans with kids. I don't understand that woman. She lets being a mother get in the way of doing things like radio. It doesn't make tisk. any sense. What right. the heck? Yeah. No, she just can't get her priorities straight is the problem. Yeah, those dogs come first. Now I got her lined up to um, even do her own weekly TV show on Back News. Excellent, excellent. You know what? She is like a really impressive and very bright woman, uh, mm -hmm. person. Period. Right? Yeah. Uh, let absolutely. alone the fact that she's a woman that has nothing to do with it. Um, but she is. Uh, she's really quick witted, and she is the. She is one of probably one of the best spokespeople that we could have for some of what we were talking about a little bit ago, which is, so what do you do in your own local community? You just mm -hmm. spent the last several weeks and months trying to talk to people about how important it is that they look local first and then they, and that they really engage in the process, right? I mean, I know I that's, that was a key part of what you and Teresa were doing. And I, you know, that, that, I, for me, that message doesn't fall on deaf ears um, because I see the difference. You can find communities all over America, all over rural America that are thriving. They exist. There are lots of places. Absolutely. And there's something that all of them have in common. And it is, is that they, ha they decided as a community that they were going to survive. They were going to figure it out. Now, some also had the Country luxury Boy of can else. survive. Once again, we have the same theme. Yep. We'll do it in the second yep. half, too. More rollout after this. Welcome back. Roll route. Trent Lewis alongside Jay Truitt. I was going to throw in there that if you're missing Amanda, you can get a dose of her as well at amandaradkeet.com. Her books <laughs> are continued to be amazing. And her videos, she's all right there. Mother, family, and everything. AmandaRadke.com, the Radke Report. All right. Making me want to go to Fredericksburg and get a peach. Yeah. See, there you go. Or you can also go to Fredericksburg uh, during the time of year when they're doing their sausage festival. No, oh, yeah. You may, you may never be the same after that in your life. You will think about almost everything in life a little differently. Did you know that we did a an Arise USA event in Fredericksburg last June? You know, and, I remember and, you were in that part of the world. And I learned that Fredericksburg has become this burgeoning wine area. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and they're now rivaling. What was the number? I, the number 27,006 in my head. The 27,000 people every weekend come to Fredericksburg just to go on what they call their I'm not using their terminology. I'm kind of using a little bit of bourbon trail. Their wine trail to go to tastings where these local vineyards and viticulture are now doing wine. And it comes back to what you just said as we closed out. This community said we're going to find a way to survive, not just survive, thrive, and create that destination that people want to be a part of. And it comes back to the other thing you said earlier, which is you go into local regional areas 
And there's a different mindset with folks. And so what we need to do is change the culture, the mindset, and seek the opportunity to make it better instead of sitting back saying, what are you going to do for me? Because we got nothing going on here. See, I'm going to get, I, I want to give you two points to follow up on that. And I think it's kind of an interesting discussion. One of them is, this is just a basic uh, little known fact. Um, but Fredericksburg, right, was kind of founded by uh, people that came from Prussia uh, and uh, were whatever came over to settle. And at one point they intended to be their own country, uh, that little region. They had no intention of being a big part of Texas. They were going to be their own country. And, uh, to, to the best of my knowledge, I've tried a lot of times to l- really look this up. I'm pretty sure that this fact is, is, a- is accurate. That the only treaty between Native Americans and, and white people or non-Native Americans in North America that was not broken was the treaty between the people of Fredericksburg and the Comanche Nation. Really? I didn't know. And they, that. uh, they, they had some scuffles when the people first moved in and they literally sat down and said, Hey, this is stupid. We're going to end up killing each other for the next hundred years. We're not going anywhere and you're not going to give up. So let's figure it out. And they did. And they worked out a pretty meaningful trading relationship between the two of them enough that kept everybody happy. The people of Fredericksburg honored what were, um, historic tribal lands uh, um, that uh, that existed by the nation there. And they got along great for, you know, about 60 years before the whole thing got swamped by the state of Texas, et cetera. But it's a really old community and has been there forever. That's number one. Number two, the number two point, though, is that it so... <clears throat> The, the other thing that can be kind of interesting is to watch watch this whole community thing develop when it's really not in the traditional senses or the traditional things that we always think about, right? When we think about a rural community in America kind of dominating, we tend to think about it being over either food or antiques or some version of the two, right? Right. I mean, that, that tends to be where everybody goes right up front. But if you go on the outskirts of Mobile, Alabama, to a little place called Fairhope, it's a place where, and I know about this only just because there's, my wife is an author. You go there and you're going to find that there's a whole bunch of authors and really creative people that decided to move into that that area, right? And they have turned it into a a little bit of a bed and breakfast haven. Uh, People go down there just to find a bed and breakfast that they can see the sunset from, you know, and look across Mobile Bay and uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so you can, you know, if, if you really start looking for it, you don't, there's no reason for you to go to Wally World or one of those places in America to see something that, that your kids or your grandkids or just you and your, your own personal family, you know, uh, you and your wife or, or husband want to go see that can be truly unique and different, right? I mean, it's, you don't have to drive out to central mm-hmm. Kansas to see the, the largest ball of twine and come home. You really can find a lot of pretty interesting things, including a wine tour in the hill country or a wine tour in Missouri's hill country up outside of St. Louis. Or uh, you can go to the, you know, somebody's uh, festival, et cetera, et cetera. This is that time of year 
We don't have to get on an airplane and fly to um, Sardinia to vacation on an exotic beach to prove some point to ourselves anymore. We can uh, we can leave that. Are you saying you don't have to live in Puerto Rico to enjoy life? Well, so Puerto Rico is part of America, you know. Uh, (laughs) Not really, not really, (laughs) but not really. Uh, They're gonna they're probably gonna vote on it becoming a state again, you know. And it's the same thing every time when the Congress votes. Here we're going to talk about policy now. When the U.S. Congress votes to approve Puerto Rico as a state. Usually Puerto Rico falls that with a vote to not become a state. <laughs> and then when they when they don't have a vote, then they vote yeah. the next year. Oh, we want to become a state now. We changed our mind. They can't make up their mind. They're socialists and they can't really help it. It is a so, beautiful place. I miss it. When when uh, you were walking through that, I was doing my own little search. I was accurate. It's 25,000 people each weekend migrate yeah. to Fredericksburg. Yeah, Texas. no That's doubt. That's a ton it, of folks. Oh, and if, and listen, if you go there, you will see it. The place mm-hmm. is just buzzing. Right. It's crazy. And they're equipped for it. I mean, they're, they can, they're prepared for it now. You know, there's all kinds of little diners and dives and, and, uh, little bars and you can hear music most of nights of the week someplace. You know, if you want to go, you can, and uh, Texas kind of has its own music scene, as some people know and some people don't know. You'll either like it or you won't. Uh, it's a version of country music that's kind of Bob Willsey swing kind of stuff, usually. And cool, right? I mean, but it's different. It's something new and different to experience. Even if uh, if it's not your thing, you can say you did it. So how how this contrasts with our discussion in the last segment, you're talking about the old duffer who said that um, we're not going to get hungry in these parts. Mm-hmm. Everything we just walked through with Fairhope, Mississippi, Fredericksburg, Texas, uh, even the ball of twine or the barbed wire mm-hmm. in Kansas. Why are all those attractions in Kansas? But anyway, um, <laughs> they're all luxuries. You don't need any of those things to survive. Right. And 2022, the rest of 2022 Let's face it, it's not going to be about where can I spend my luxuries at. It's going yeah. to be how do I access what I need. Yeah, I think that's probably true in large part. And 2023 may be one of the most interesting years that we've watched uh, in recent world history. Um, and Lord willing and whatever, you know, um, we'll either be here or maybe Lord willing we won't. But um the uh, the reality is is that the world set its stage again. I think so. Uh, the reason I brought up that the in the, in the first segment I brought up the the all these hearings on uh, what's going to happen with the farm bill, et cetera. Uh, and maybe this is me becoming a little bit cynical. Just uh, the older I get and the whiter my beard becomes, you know. Um, I think. Uh, in a lot of respects, this is much ado about nothing. And it's not going to really change the lives of, of most people over the short term, maybe not even the long term, and maybe not at all. Um, but it'll capture, for the people that worship Washington, D.C., and celebrity and fame and power and all of those things that go with that, um, It'll capture their imagination and they'll think that it's the driver of all drivers. And the reality, 
I think really turns out to be that we may see two Americas emerge out of this and not in the sense that one secedes from the other, but rather those of us that just know how to, to get along anyway are going to get along and we'll probably do it without little, with very little regard for what happens in, uh, in a, in a swamp land, uh, of 16 square miles in, in, um, in the district of Columbia, it just really won't matter. So the, the only thing that, that bridges the two where everybody comes together is, uh, I really see the day that in 2022 where we won't have access to fuel like we want it. I think that's probably, uh, accurate. And if you don't have fuel, life's going to change. Yeah. It will for sure. And whether you're living in a city or, or country doesn't matter. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I don't know what to say. Luckily, some of us still have access to a good saddle horse. So, uh, I got 24 of them. Oh, wait, you said good saddle horse. Yeah. A good I saddle got 24 horse. horses. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there what? is a difference between a good one. And yeah. having one. <laughs> there's yeah. Sometimes there's room for improvement and sometimes there's not. You yeah. know? <laughs> not every horse is ever gonna be a good saddle horse. Um some but of them I, will I, work. I, so we just got home from last night we got home from my nephew's graduation in Quincy, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And Kelly and I we couldn't stop commenting on our drive home on a Monday how much traffic there is. So diesel's 509 to 570, depending on where you're at. Uh-huh. Gas, is the cheapest gas we saw unleaded was 499. Uh, or no, excuse me. The cheapest we saw was 399 up to 425. And there's no fewer cars on the road. There may be more vehicle and traffic than, than there is when it was yeah. $2 and 50 cents. Yeah. I've been trying to figure that out myself. I, I, uh, I happen to live where I get a chance uh, almost every day to drive now on uh, Highway 54 through a pretty rural part of America, you know, yeah. and it's truck after truck after truck after truck. And I got, uh, I have a trucking issue. It's called the clock. I should pay attention to it. We'll be back with the last trucking segment after this. Now let's take a moment and talk about the essential aspect of nitric oxide. Dr. Nathan Bryan has many times joined us on this program talking about how important the correct level of nitric oxide in your body is. N-O-2-U, N-O, number two, letter U, dot com is a place to go get full details from Dr. Bryan. You can also order at that location. We have the website fixed. It's running now. Put Trent as your coupon code. You get a 10% discount, plus you get free shipping, and I think you're getting an extra bottle free. If you buy three, you get four. You can't beat that. It's all with the coupon code Trent, NO2U.com. Welcome back. Roll route. Trent Lewis alongside Jay Trotsworth, Andrew Henderson Luss. It's his birthday. He's 58 today, by the way. Hey, you know what? I I actually did know that, and I just didn't do anything about it yet. I have to send him a note. Mm-hmm. Tell him happy birthday. Ask if he needs a cane. When is he getting <laughs> his hip replaced? All those questions, right? <laughs> Ask how his I'm, wife's doing when you do that, just saying. I will. Yeah, no. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I've been Claire's saying a special well. prayer for her. So. Yeah, Claire's doing well. 
Not that mine matter more than anybody else's, but um, everyone matters. Every yep, prayer matters. Everybody matters. Yeah. So back to this truck traffic, it, it's uh-huh. crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hear trucking stories after trucking stories that are just horror stories about they can't find help, they can't do this, they can't meet the regulation, they can't meet the hours of service, and yet there's more trucks than ever. Yeah, I, I uh, again, like uh, other people, you know, we all have a few friends that are in that business and in that industry, and if you think farming is a tough world uh, or ranching oh, is a tough world, yeah. Sit down and and let a trucker just be really honest with you about how tight their margins are and how tough it is for them just to make it through like day to day. Every day is hard, you know, at least in agriculture, you can ignore some things on certain days and just enjoy the beauty that surrounds you kind of thing. They're, I mean, they're having fits and you know, at the same time, right? Um, so now we get this back to pure, maybe pure agriculture related kind of trucking. Um, the guys that are, that are hauling pots around, uh, trying to move, even whether it's moving hogs or cattle, mm-hmm. um, somewhere in the country. Um, the hog market's been about as screwed up as it could possibly be. Just the whole marketing aspects of, of the, of, of the hog market have been screwed up. And the cattle market is running through some counter cyclical uh, time periods here. Uh, they didn't have any rain over a lot of wheat country. And so cattle all went to the feed yard heavy and you see pots setting empty that normally would be, um, you know, running 24 hours a day. They're looking for random scrap loads or, or moving stuff around in certain parts of, in this part of the country they are because the cattle just aren't moving it like normal. And so and cattle prices are in a weird place. Everybody believing that we're going to have $8 corn or more into infinitum changes what people do from a feeding perspective. And, and, uh, I know this in your segment with uh, Andrew, you guys talked a little bit about China and their hog numbers, right? Well, China, China's hog numbers are actually only down 0.2%, right? Right. Um, but the, the reality is, is when you have 454 million head, 0.2% is a lot. It's a big number. Right. And so, um, you know, that's like uh, Jeff Bezos giving himself a 0.2% bonus at the end of the year and me giving myself a 0.2% bonus. I get a 0.2% bonus on out of my salary, and it means I upgrade from a, from a quarter pounder to a quarter pounder deluxe, you know, and uh and go from a medium to a large large coke um he uh he buys a small country somewhere with that same two <laughs> percent and so or another you know, 365 million dollar yacht yeah yeah another, so uh let's talk about that cattle market because it, it, i've been focused on it more than normal we see beef prices retail increasing upwards of 30%. They're saying 23%. USDA says 23%. I'm seeing 30%. And yet live cattle prices have moved nada. At least the pig market, we've, we've sold dollar pigs. Who would have ever guessed that? You right. can't keep track of the chicken market. You have no idea what's going on there, although you know it's right. a train wreck from 50 million being euthanized. Yeah. But just comparing pigs and and the retail price of pork is up 12% and yeah. yet pig prices or live pig prices are at 
significant record highs. Beef prices retail are up 30% and live cattle haven't changed. There's a problem here. Yeah. And I mean, I, uh, I've been trying to go through those numbers myself and make some sense out of it. I'm not for sure. I I don't, I'm not going to have any positive answers for you. I can only put a little more, uh, fuel on the fire from the perspective that we're also selling, uh, we're selling off a bunch of our cheap meats, right? The stuff that we normally sell to like Mexico is what we've started selling to China. Uh, we don't sell this typically the stuff that that you'd see in a normal grocery store shelf here in the mm-hmm. United States. Uh, we don't really uh, sell much of that to China, but we we're on a blistering pace of sales to China right at this moment of beef. And it is uh, again, it's low quality product. Right. And it's whatever scraps and and uh, uh, quote unquote other. Uh, byproducts that we're moving, but there's plenty of money. There seems to be plenty of plenty of sales in the system, you know, and I can, I could, uh, I can't explain what happened when we had the lockdowns that started uh, last year and sure. how, how that came about. Um, packing plants had produced for a 50, 50 supply between retail and, and home and, uh, and restaurant trade food service. And you can't just repackage that product. I get how it, how it all got twisted around and what, where it all got screwed up. Um, that part I could work myself through and I didn't get really pissed off at Packers over it because I knew that while the numbers would suggest that they were making a lot of money, they were also probably throwing a lot of product away that just couldn't be sold in time or they were freezing product that right. maybe never get sold. There's an old saying you know, in that industry, if you ever put it in the freezer, most of it never comes out. And, and, and so I get it that those were just future losses they were going to have to absorb, but I can't, I can't figure it out now. Like you said, we've seen a big double digit increase, 25 to 40% increase in retail prices. Um, depending on how you, uh, what specific products you look at and exactly what you're looking for. Uh, and we've seen fed cattle prices actually soften. We do have more, we have 2% more cattle on feed right now, but we just talked about why that is. Those are just wheat cattle that got pushed sure. ahead. And so I get it that supplies are, are running a little bit high, but this is now, we're now in like month 16 of that. And, uh, uh, people, people that know me know that, uh, obviously that I worked for the National Cattlemen at one point, right? And, um, I, I still have good friends that work there. I spoke with Colin Wood all this last week, not to ask him about policy positions or anything like that, but literally, um, uh, uh, that's not the relationship that I think is appropriate for me to have with the CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, you know? Uh, it's different. Uh, I hired Colin initially into the cattle industry. And so uh, I, I take credit or blame for that, whatever it happens to be. Uh, but he's a good man, you know, and I called him just to talk about how you think through problems. But I couldn't provide him any, ex- I couldn't provide him any experience in this regard because I have looked at the numbers to beat all and they just don't make sense. There's something well, there, here that we're not. There's we're one not other number that we haven't talked about that makes it all make sense. 
two consecutive quarters, JBS Swift has net profits in excess of $1 billion. Yeah. That's the answer. The, the net profit in the middle is too high right now. I, If I could go through their books, though, I bet what I would find is that a bunch of that is, uh, is that old inventory that they unloaded. And I... And, and see, that's where I, I still look at, I'm spending some time on another project right now looking at actual labor costs, actual utility costs, actual insurance, infrastructure costs for making packing plants operate. And I, I'll be honest with you, I don't, I see a, I see a more, a lot more margin, not a little more, a lot more margin on doing the retail end of this industry, the, the marketing after the plant than I do in the plant. And I, 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 so, I mean, I'm not, I'm not just playing around with these numbers, right? I'm, I'm a partner in a firm that's trying to figure out how to actually build one of these systems right now. And so we, we've spent a huge amount of time looking at those numbers in ways that, that I can't imagine. And I, uh, I'm I'm really struggling with how you figure out how to keep the lights on in a packing plant over a five year window. Today, yeah, particularly today, with one I aspect, can. labor. You have somebody yeah. show up to work. Right. No, that is that is like eighty percent of the problem. And more importantly, is listen, don't kid yourself about what's happened to utility rates in in rural America as comparison to where. You know, at one point, uh, one of the big advantages that we had almost all across the Midwest was that uh, we had uh, extremely low utility rates. And while we still have lower rates than urban America, we don't, the the differential between the two is uh, nowhere near what it once was. And the, the cost of labor I don't, actually, I don't complain about whatever the labor cost is. I just look at it as though, you know, what it takes for people to work per hour is what it takes for people to work per hour. What I, what I'm finding out though, when I go through and visit with other people that are in that industry and other industries is, is it's not about how much per hour do they make. They just don't want to work. Um, yeah. you, you can, you can run an analysis, talk to people that are actually trying to hire people in hard manufacturing. And they will tell you that going from $22 to $25 an hour may not change the number of applicants you have one bit. Going from 25 to 27 or 27 to 30 may not change the, the amount of applicants that you have uh, at all. Um, mm-hmm. Benefits may adjust it some, but you can't provide benefits to a transitory workforce. It's just not, it's just, from a human resources standpoint, it's really almost just not possible to do. And so I, I'm not for sure what the solution is. Um, there's a bunch of lazy people in America that just don't want to work and they figured out how not to. Um, and, and so that makes it kind of okay for them. Um, yeah. Well, as long as we nudge them and pay them not to, they're never going to find well, sure. the incentive. If you'll but, pay them 60% of what they might have made otherwise just to sit home on their butt and watch TV all day, they'll sit right on their butt eating uh, 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 whatever they can get on a, uh, a government card uh, to show yeah. them their pie hole. 
And then they'll watch the next press conference where Biden will stupidly answer some question that he doesn't understand what the context was he even gave the answer to. But that is also where I am at because I'm out of time. We've successfully journeyed down the road. I'm not sitting on the couch eating bonbons. That's not what I just said. We've successfully journeyed down the road, connecting rural and urban America for day two. And I'm Trent Luce. Happy birthday, Andrew Henderson. All roads do lead to a roll route. Stay tuned for the announcement July 4th, Keystone, South Dakota. You're going to want to be there.